Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy Pops, Sarah Spruk-Feiner. How's it going, Sarah? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think this is your second time on the Week in Review podcast, I believe. Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. Well, I'm excited to have you. Um, we've got a fun episode. First, we're going to talk about the comeback of Abercrombie and Fitch, uh, all the way back from the uh, hyper-exclusive elitist era of like the 2000s and then up to the very different looking company today. And then secondly, we're going to talk a little bit about what you've been working on, Sarah, which is related to how brands are building communities, which I think is a super interesting topic. Um, but let's start with Abercrombie and Fitch. So I'll get the numbers out of the way, the businessy stuff first, and then we can kind of talk about uh, Abercrombie's brand image and and how they've sort of changed that over the years. Um, but to start, so Abercrombie had their quarterly earnings on Wednesday, um, and unlike a lot of other retail brands that have kind of been struggling recently, a lot of poor earnings or just flat, um, Abercrombie's were really like out of nowhere, crazy good. Um, I think they expected revenue for the quarter was 842 million and they overshot that by almost 100 million dollars and their actual revenue was 935 um which is compared to 800 million in the same quarter last year so that's 135 million dollars more uh you know increase in one year um and their expected revenue for the full year is now up 10% uh to 3.7 billion like i said really kind of came out of nowhere, like I think Abercrombie has been doing well, and we'll talk about how they've kind of changed over the years. But even that, even given that, I feel like it was still kind of a shock. Um, interestingly, they didn't say that it was tied to any specific gender or region or any demographic. It was kind of just an even growth all over the place. So anyway, that's the the numbers. But let's talk about sort of like the softer stuff. I always associated Abercrombie with that 2000s era mall aesthetic with the shirtless models and the very pungent cologne wafting <laughs> out. And it was such a scary place to me. I don't know about <laughs> you. I was like terrified of the store. Oh my um, goodness. It was all I wanted. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was, I was darkly like, you know, attracted to it. I was like, oh my God, that's so dangerous and like, uh, expensive. I couldn't afford any of it, but, um, yeah. And I feel like that was cool at the time. And then I feel like that whole style really kind of fell out of favor. They got a lot of criticism for that super elitist kind of view. I mean, there was that famous quote from their former CEO, Mike Jeffries, who was like, we don't want fat people or poor people or or ugly people wearing our clothes. Um, but yeah, that so that's changed a ton. I've been talking a lot. What Have you kind of observed that same transformation over the years? Absolutely. Sarah? I mean, back in 2021, um, I reported on a shift we were seeing with the brand that was in part tied to TikTok. Um, people were rediscovering the brand and sort of uh, essentially reporting on it, um, you know, going into the store and, you know, posting hauls um, saying, oh my God, this, I can't believe that Abercrombie not only looks so good, has such cute stuff, but also in many cases makes my size. Um, and that was mm -hmm. definitely, I think, the, the the plot twist that nobody saw coming was the brand not only, um, you know, reinventing its look and its style, um, but but also becoming inclusive in, in many elements of, of the word, um, from having a, a pride collection and an ongoing partnership with the Trevor Project that they take very mm -hmm. seriously, 
but to also prioritizing a curve collection, working with plus size models and influencers, um, working with models and influencers of different disabilities, um, and and really prioritizing that, and then seeing that sort of uh, trickle onto social media. I believe they had a couple of items in particular go viral. And mm-hmm. what's interesting is that, I guess, um, clearly, rather, they've been able to sustain that popularity. And and I should say, I have, since 2021, been wearing their denim, um, mm-hmm. and which, which is really also not something that uh, 12-year-old me wearing their micro mini skirts at sleepaway camp and their <laughs> their logo shirts that uh my grandma used to say they should pay you to wear their brand name on your <laughs> on your chest um <laughs> i did not think that me in my 30s would be wearing their their clothes again yeah I did not see that coming <laughs> well i think that that speaks to the way they've kind of transformed and like you said in a lot of ways like they're more size inclusive. They're they have dropped some of that kind of aesthetic, but also they're not really like this like popular teen kid brand anymore. Like I feel like when I was maybe just because I was a teenager, I kind of associated them with like seventeen year olds. Um, but you know, it's just like they're almost like a Gap like brand now, just a kind of normal American, you know, kind of a little bit upscale, but not too like not luxury retailer, which I think is a difficult spot to be in. And and they had such a powerful image, uh, powerfully negative, you might say, but a powerful <laughs> image that it's like pretty uh, incredible that they've kind of done such a good job of shedding that. And you mentioned the size inclusivity. I think it's funny. Not, not only were they not size inclusive in the past, I think you could argue they were like the quintessential size exclusive brand. They were like yeah. famously and cultivated that I mean, like I said, that comment from Mike Jeffries, like they intentionally, explicitly were like, we are not for larger people. Um, and so not only have they kind of caught up, you know, to the the baseline, I think they've, they've gone ahead there as well. Two things. Um, One, I think there's a yeah. reason that they were po- so popular with prepubescent girls who didn't have curves. Mm-hmm. But two, I did just find something cool and kind of crazy. So I, I reported this story. Um, in October 2021. And at the time that I wrote, the hashtag Abercrombie has racked up 128.5 million views, which sure is a lot for an owned brand name. Right now, the hashtag Abercrombie on TikTok has 1 billion views. So in less than... Yeah, like two years. That's like one... Yeah, 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 two years. So that's... Almost two years. So Wild. Yeah, that's that's huge. The other thing to to get back to the numbers for a second, um, another stat I saw, um, and actually this was reported by our our colleagues at Modern Retail uh, a month or two ago. Um, so in their most recent earnings, Abercrombie said that they their not only have their did their revenue explode, but their margins were better, their profit margins. But it's not because they were spending less, because actually uh, Modern Retail reported that they spent $20 million more on their marketing, I think, in the first four months of the year uh, than they did in the period before. Um, so they're they're spending a lot. Uh, I think the the margins were had to do with like inventory stuff. They, they sold through more of their inventory and didn't have excess lying around. But I think that speaks to high demand. 
Um, and we were just talking before the recording, Sarah, that they do a lot of influencer stuff. Um, they work with a lot of creators. Uh, we were just talking about how they have a co-designed collection with Tia Booth, who is from The Bachelor or Bachelor in Paradise. I, I'm not <laughs> sounds, sure. Sounds correct. One of those. <laughs> one of those two. So uh, I'm not. You're you're more well versed in like the influencer side of things than than I am. Um, do you have you seen much from Abercrombie in that world with like you know a lot of partnerships? They've definitely done a number of them. They did one. Uh, with an influencer duo, um, Dress Up Buttercup and Champagne and Chanel. Um, trying to look at when, this was in 2022. Uh, you know, the thing about, yes, I report on the influencer world, but there are literally millions of them. I, so I, I don't always know. Yeah. Uh, but I know they've they've uh, worked with, maybe not in a co-design capacity, but influencers like Remy Bader, um, mm -hmm. people that I do report on regularly. So they're definitely doing a lot in that, in that space. And I'd be curious to hear them talk about how they pick the influencers. And, um, cause I do think that's, um, maybe they're targeting a different demographic with that, um, versus like yeah. the Remy who like is a New York city based influencer. Like I think these, these two are Texas based influencers. So that's clearly a different, mm -hmm. a different demo. Um, but yeah, they're doing a lot in that space as well. Yeah, for sure. And and one other thing I wanted to talk about with them is I think a good point of comparison to Abercrombie is Victoria's Secret. Um, both of them had kind of like expose documentaries <laughs> released about them uh, within a couple months, I think, last year. Um, and they both kind of responded to it in the same way. They were like, we've changed and, you know, that's, uh, you know, they kind of deflected, but they also kind of owned up to it. Um, in, you know, I think a fair amount. Um, and I certainly don't think that Victoria's Secret has like really suffered that much. They're still huge. They're still a huge section of the, the intimates mm -hmm. or underwear business. Um, but it does seem like Abercrombie, I think, has done a better job, at least from an optics perspective of shedding that. I feel like every Victoria's Secret story that I read or that we write or talk about, I feel like mentions that transformation that they're still going through. Whereas Abercrombie, like, I I feel like you could, you know, have a whole process story about Abercrombie and like marketing stuff they're doing and it never comes up because it's just like pretty thoroughly been. Yeah. No, yeah. Away, There's know? a totally new, like a new brand at play now. And, and, and I mm -hmm. think that people there and, and think about like the fact that like Gen Z wearing Abercrombie like didn't grow up with that. Like they're not thinking mm -hmm. about like necessarily that 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 smell, for example, that like for to you and I yeah. is like it will never go away in our brains. That association. This Pavlovian. Yeah, yeah just exactly. Embedded in like my that's brain. literally not that association like literally isn't there for them, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wonder if Victoria's Secret will maybe be able to pull off a similar trick given a couple more years distance from that kind of era of the brand. Um, and who knows, maybe we'll be having a similar conversation about them in like three or four years. Um, cool. Any other thoughts on Abercrombie before we move on? No, it's been a really interesting transformation. It's it's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Okay, let's talk about our second topic. So, Sarah, you were writing a newsletter for Glossy Pop this week about um, brand community initiatives and how brands are kind of like using those. And by initiatives, we mean, you know, walks and gatherings and events and stuff like that to kind of build those 
communities. Tell me a little bit about what you've been seeing and what you're talking to people about, and then we'll go from there. There are, you know, endless, definitely like endless brand activations and and things that brands do nowadays um, to gather their communities. And and community in general has become a a buzzword. Um, But one that I became somewhat fixated on uh, was walks and hikes. I, I suddenly noticed sort of a groundswell of brands uh, hosting walks and and hikes. And I was like, well, this is funny. Like, you know, when I think, oh, I'm going to go on a walk, I don't necessarily think about doing it with my favorite lip gloss brand. Um, and so yeah. it, it fascinated me that that these brands were, were getting turnout. Um, and and in some cases, really impressive turnout. And in some cases, other uh, you know, other cases, um, actually keeping it tighter intentionally. Um, so I, I wound up speaking to three beauty brands and one um, fashion uh, athleisure brand. So Say, which is a, a clean makeup brand, Mara, which is a clean mm. skincare brand, Ali Oop, a clean makeup and skincare brand, and then finally Set Active. Mm-hmm. Um, all four brands have done walks, hikes, both, um, and in some cases also other like athletic activities um, as a free way to engage with their communities. Um, Mara actually did one this week on Tuesday, uh, pegged to the launch of their new body oil um, in New York. They had put... Um, sort of a, you know, something, they'd thrown something up on their Instagram stories to gauge interest and then um, asked for email addresses. So they sort of did that almost as Mm -hmm. a security measure. Like, we're not just going to let anyone show up to this. And then on the total flip side of that, Set Active, which has become popular for its um, leggings and sports bras, sweatshirts, that kind of thing, um... They hosted a walk also in New York City, although I should note that this has been popular in Los Angeles as well, um, in New York where they tapped um, Tinks to host it, which there was great synergy there. Uh, Tinks is, you know, known for popularizing the term rich mom walks. um, And this uh, apparently over 500 people showed up. And some of that, of course, is to be owed to to Tinks, who I believe off the top of my head has over a million followers on TikTok and over half a million followers on Instagram. Um, you know, don't fact check me there because I'm literally riffing. But um, <laughs> she, you know, I think her, her followers love her. And in fairness, I follow Tinks and she really does talk about Set Active on a regular basis. So there was really um, good authenticity there with the brand, uh, you know, choosing her to host this walk. Um, and so it's interesting, you know, Mara's was uh, something like 11 a.m. on a work day and they got 15 people, which I actually found pretty impressive for, a, a yeah, like a beauty brand where they had sort of vetted everyone by email address. And then you have this flip side of over 500 people showing up to walk and both are really interesting like this isn't some super sexy like you know crazy wild perk it's literally just walking yeah yeah it's 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 interesting i i imagine like 
set active doing it, I think makes more sense because it's a, I mean, they'd all make sense, but is more expected because it's an activewear brand. Like I know a lot of the kind of Patagonia, like REI, like Gorpcore brands do walks and hikes all the time. And that makes perfect sense. Cause that's like kind of their whole aesthetic. Um, but yeah, the, the makeup brands doing it and the beauty brands doing it, I think is, is very interesting. And, and I'm like surprised that they were able to you know, draw such a crowd. I also feel like having somebody like Tinks at your gathering or your event or whatever it is, uh, you know, it's fine to meet other customers of the brand and you're like, hey, we all like this brand. I'm sure that's fine and fun or whatever. But, you know, having a big name there who has a big following herself, I think, you know, that's a big part of it too. I think in part, and I don't want to like overreach here, put, you know, words in the mouths of the people that attend these events, but I think in part it speaks to like a sort of like digital loneliness and, you know, like Mm -hmm. people like I think one thing I've taken perhaps for granted in my career is that people often think of like writer as a very like solitary, you know, sitting alone at a desk. But like in the, you know, 10 years that I've been writing much about the beauty industry, I've actually been constantly meeting people, other writers, other founders. And I think it's easy to forget that, you know, some people, they meet their, you know, five to 10 coworkers and no one else. And then you have COVID and everyone's stuck at home. And it's, you know, there's, if you search like, you know, loneliness or whatever, there's like literally thousands, if not like millions of articles about like adults being lonely, how hard it is to like make friends. So like some of the founders that I spoke to, and again, it's like kind of easy to feel a little bit skeptical of this, but like you know, they spoke to how, like, having a affinity for a brand, it's like, say, for example, is one one thing that they've always done is they're very outspoken. They've, they've been a huge uh, supporter of um, reproductive rights. And so there's this, you know, the founder was speaking to the fact that, like, brand fans, there might be an understanding that if you like, say, you also support these same causes and that you might have more in common that it's like there's you know you have some some things in common already um so I don't I asked the founders you know do you think people are going to make friends or did people come with friends in some cases yes in some cases uh people told me people brought their boyfriends um Mm -hmm. people told me that you know they feel like their community and their followers are are still very much looking for ways and reasons to get outside and and do things, which it's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it it definitely is. And the majority of things I've seen kind of in that realm, a lot of them are digital. Um, I was just uh, wrote the story about this British brand Percival that I'm kind of obsessed with recently, who have this uh, private WhatsApp chat for these like 50 or so of their, these, you know, customers from a cross section of the audience and the the founder of the brand, um, Chris Gove is in the chat and he shows them, you know, sneak previews of stuff and they talk with each other as well. It's not just talking to him. Um, but like, that's also a private digital thing. I think it's like similar to a lot of brands have discords, for example, um, with these like private communities. But I think there is something nice about meeting in person. I think that's also why, um, you know, one of the values of having a physical store for a lot of brands now is not just to sell things, but also as a kind of hub for little events and big events. And, you know, there's a, a 
running brand called um, Bandit, uh, which has a store in Greenpoint, and I'm pretty sure they host runs um, that start from the store. They meet at the store and like go, you know, go for a run with a big group. I think I think this is something we're gonna keep seeing is you know brands getting mm-hmm. creative and um, inventive with um, how they engage their community. And if you do have a store, uh, if you're you know lucky enough or big enough um, to have a retail space, then that's amazing because you have essentially a quote, quote, free, you know, obviously you're paying rent, yeah. but a free yeah. event space that you But can, it's not extra. Yeah, exactly, that yeah. you can utilize. And I think, like, definitely the the brands that do have that, I, I definitely see more and more. I feel like even the brands that I'm on there, you know, consumer mailing lists, I see a lot of, like, mm-hmm. you know— just more and more consumer events and people show up. Like I was recently interviewing um, the um, CEO of Dr. Dennis Gross and they were telling me that they had had a consumer event where the line was like two blocks long and um, it was like a really hot day. You know, people want to get outside and I'm always amazed by it because I like won't wait online for a restaurant that I'm dying to go to. So I don't know if I've just become like jaded and <laughs> like horrible, but <laughs> yeah, I, I've never been one of those people who like waits in line in front of the sneaker store to like get some new shoe. I'm like, I'll get it eventually. Yeah, I, I feel like I don't need to. Um, but I do think like from the from the business side, um, stuff like that is valuable because uh, I feel like a, a marketing truth that I've learned is like you can pay to like show your ads or show your brand to someone. And there's no guarantee that they care at all or will do anything about it. But if you invite people to an event, like the people who came to that event probably are already interested in the brand. They kind of like self-select into it, you know, and you can get those email addresses or whatever. And those people are going to be way more receptive to things because if they weren't, they wouldn't have showed up, you know. And I think that goes for stuff like email lists and SMS. Like if somebody signs up for those things, they probably want to hear whatever you're going to say to them. And same with events. If people show up, like they're they're not going to be annoyed if they see branding or something. They're not going to be they you know they knew what they were getting into. One other example, actually, that I forgot to mention earlier is um, when you told me about this idea. I immediately thought of Adidas used to do a, a trash walk kind of thing. They used to host these gatherings. I think mostly on the West Coast, where you know people would walk and or run, but also pick up litter and stuff as they're going, um, especially on the beaches. And I was looking it up and they still do it. And I think the most recent one was only like two months ago or something. Um, so something like that could also play into like a brand's values, you know, because that's a sustainability thing. Come join us and help clean up. And also it's like a good thing to do for society, you know, so that's has a value too. There, there's a lot of ways you can, you know, twist that into, you know, benefiting different parts of the business. Um and I think, again, like, yeah. you know, showing that you have shared values with your customer, like there's so much data about Gen Z wanting to sort support brands that share their values. And, I, you know, while I don't think we hear that as much about millennials as a millennial, I would I would argue that at least anecdotally, it's true amongst me and many of my friends. Um, and then if you, you know, go further and reward those customers, what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing is that. It, it tends to, you know, it goes both ways. It rewards the brand um, tenfold. Like, you know, if you give the customers that are already, uh, you know, some of your best customers, like you were saying with Percival, like, you know, 
a, a, some kind of perk or some kind of incentive and you're sort of just saying like we love you back like we we see you we recognize mm-hmm. your support of the brand um then you're just like further building loyalty and it's like this sort of interesting two-way street um people do have relationships with brands now and mm-hmm. uh you know like think about like I think about like it's it seems tangential but I think about like early COVID when people were saying like you know if you can't support your favorite restaurant right now like buy a gift card like and and, mm-hmm. and like people you know did it it's like I think yeah. there's this especially with the rise of like founder-led brands which many of um the brands that I spoke to for this story like set active like Lindsay the founder she sends a newsletter I believe monthly that's like letters from Lindsay like there's this real understanding now of like who's behind a brand and I think it makes it much easier like you know you said with Percival they're talking to the founder like there's this understanding of who's behind a brand that makes it easier to feel like you're engaging with like a person rather than a corporation which yeah that Mm -hmm. gets into like whole other you know discussions of, of capitalism but like Ultimately, I think people then want to support the brands that they feel like they know the founder and. um, Yeah. Yeah. And like if if everyone can be a potential micro influencer because they'll tell their friends or post about it or whatever, I think it pays for the brands to have at least some sort of, you know, relationship, even if it's just a DM or something, which like it happens if you post about a brand, um, if it's, you know, maybe a smaller or medium sized brand, like they will DM you. It's, it's happened. I'm sure it's happened to both of us a bunch. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of value in that too. Yeah. Um, I think that's all the time we have, unless Sarah, is there any other thoughts you wanted to No. Okay. Thank you so much for joining. This was great. And when is your, uh, story on this coming out Friday? Yeah, I think around the same time as this podcast. Yeah, so by the time you're listening to this, Sarah's story will be live and you can go read that for for some more deep pop insight (laughs) from Sarah Spruckfeiner. Oh, and before we go, Sarah, um, you have been hosting another Glossy podcast recently, um, which I think just had a new episode out Thursday, which will be yesterday by the time you're listening to this. Um, Tell us about the pop podcast. Yes. So the pop podcast has been an addition of the Glossy Beauty podcast. Um, We just had makeup artist Patrick Ta on um, and we've had some really amazing guests. Michaela Nagara, who is like the top beauty TikToker. Uh, Molly Sims speaking about the launch of Wise, her beauty brand. Um, And it's really in line with the things we cover on pop. So the ways that the beauty industry is moving alongside culture and social media. Um, So yeah, check it out. That's all the time we've got this week. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. That helps us out a lot. And don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you'll hear interviews with industry insiders every Wednesday and the Weekend Review episode hosted by me every Friday. So until then, thank you for listening.